Amen. It has been a very exciting morning. Um, hope you can feel it in the air and just the spirit moving and just, you know, the testimonies and everything that's this God is doing. It's just exciting to be a part of that. And uh, I hope you're ready for what God's got in store for us this morning. As you can see behind me, we're in a series called Remain in Love. We began this last series. You know, we had many uh, families who were out and about on Labor Day weekend visiting with their family and their friends. So if you'd like to kind of catch up where we started with last week, um, then you can go online. You can check that out. Um, the premise is not about necessarily relationships with people, but our relationship with God. The Bible tells us that God is love. And so this idea is that we are remaining in God, we're remaining in Christ, we're remaining um, where God wants us to be in our life, where uh, God wants to be, us to be living, uh, how God wants us to be living. That's the premise. And the question is, you know, how do we do that? How do we remain in God's will? How do we remain where God wants us to be so that we can um, be blessed by Him, that we can know that we're where He wants us and that we're not living in sin? How do we do that? So we're walking through this uh, to understand how the Bible teaches us. How do we remain in God? How do we remain in love? And I hope as we go through this, we not only figure out that it's not just about remaining, but about building that passion for God, um, that He is the number one in, in our life, and He is all that's seen. I mean, that's kind of what we talk about at Harvest Hill. We want to love God first, and it's that He's the number one. We love Him with everything we have, so we can love the people that God has placed in our life or brought to our attention the way He commands us. And it begins by us individually first. We have to remain in God. We have to remain in love. So last week, we talked about uh, changing our focus, um, that that sometimes we lose focus because of the struggles of this life, and that causes us to drift away from God. We start to do things we probably shouldn't do. And, and what we have to realize is committing and trusting God, but also that you and I, we cannot control other people's actions. But we, can, we are in control of our own reactions. And so part of controlling our reactions is to trusting God and committing ourselves to God. And uh, that came out of Psalm 37. This morning, we're going to be turning our attention to the Gospel of John. So if you have your scriptures with you, we'll be in John chapter 15. As I mentioned last week, this is our theme passage for this whole series. And we're going to begin to unpack it this morning and what Jesus Christ said. As you make your way to John chapter 15, written by the, the Apostle John, also known as the Beloved Disciple in the Gospel of John. Now, he did not call himself the Beloved Disciple to kind of boast on himself. Jesus loved all the disciples. But when you read through the Gospel of John, it's believed that he called himself the Beloved Disciple as a sign of humility and humbleness, that he didn't feel he should even enter his name into the Gospel that eventually took on his name. Because the Gospel isn't about John, even though we call it the Gospel of John. It's about Jesus. And so John is continually pointing to Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. He is equal with God, of the same power and authority. And this is the plan that guys had God has through Jesus. And it's believed that John is writing this to pretty much the Roman world, which is where the Jerusalem people lived under Roman rule in the Roman Empire. He's writing this because he takes almost a Gnostic perspective. Gnostic is the pursuit of truth. And, and Gnosticism is that, you know, truth is your God, that you're just, you're always searching for truth, always searching. So John opens up his gospel by saying Jesus is the word or in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was 
with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then he emphasized who that Word is in verse 14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he's speaking about Jesus. The word for word is logos. And logos in the Gnostic world was that pursuit of truth and that pursuit of knowledge. And so John is using that to show that, you know what, Jesus is the truth you seek after. That's why in the Gospel of John we have, I am the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus is the only way of the Father. There's no other way. And, and, G, and there's very uh, firm statements by Jesus in the Gospel of John. You don't find in other Gospels that, that shows that Jesus is the only way. Well, as we come into chapter 15 of the Gospel of John, we're stepping into the last night that Jesus is going to be physically with his disciples. Here's a little nugget that if you ever did in the Bible trivia and the question is asked, which gospel holds the longest recording of the upper room? The answer is Gospel of John. I wouldn't have asked you that question if I didn't tell you to go to Gospel of John. So Gospel of John holds the longest recording of the upper room. There's, there's from chapter 14 to chapter 17, what Jesus is doing is he's preparing his disciples, his followers, these men who have walked with him, who've, who've seen the crowds come. He's preparing them for the moment that's going to happen in the next 24 hours, the moment that he's going to be handed over to the authorities, the moment he's going to be tried, the moment he's going to be crucified, the moment they're going to put him in a tomb, and the disciples are going to think, all is lost, it was all hopeless, we did this all for nothing. And then that moment he's going to come out, and then eventually, four days later, ascend. He's preparing them that, here, guys, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go in the tomb, and, and you got to be ready for this. But when I I come out, I'm going to give you the mission that I've been given. I'm going to pass this mission on to you, and here's how you are going to do it. This is the only way that you can accomplish the mission which I am placing on you and which God places on all of his children under the new covenant through Jesus Christ. So Jesus begins in verse 1 of chapter 15. He says that I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Let's just stop right there. As Jesus is preparing his disciples, he's taking this image from the Old Testament. He's saying, look, guys, I am the true vine. I am the genuine vine. I am the real deal. OK, and the, the, the disciples at this moment, Judas has already been excused. So there's just 11 of them right there in that room. At this moment, we're to understand this image that Jesus is talking about, because in the Old Testament, God referred to Israel as the vine. And he referred to the place where he would plant them, the promised land, and they would grow from that vine. So Jesus is taking this image from the Old Testament, and he's now saying, guys, I am the genuine vine. I am the real thing. See, God called Israel the vine because it would be the people of Israel, the Jewish people, which God would give his law. He would, he would reveal himself to him. And you could not be in a relationship with God in the Old Testament unless you came into the covenant of circumcision. Unless you said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to, I'm going to go into this covenant agreement with God, and I'm going to enter that through the covenant of circumcision. And so I'm going to be God's people and God's laws is going to be upon my life and it's going to guide and lead me. But unless you were born Jewish, you had to enter into the agreement. And so God gives and reveals himself to Jewish people. He gives them the law. This is how you should live your life. This is how you should conduct yourself as my people. And then he says, now grow. Now grow because all the people of all the nations are to know that I am the one true God by the way you are responding to my word. So grow. See, God wasn't cutting anybody out. He wanted people in the Old Testament to see his people, the Jewish people, to see that their God was the real God, the one true God. And when they came to that understanding, they would come into this covenant agreement with, with God. 
But the Jewish people, if you know their history, don't necessarily grow the way God wanted them to grow. They kind of grew the wrong way. And so Jesus shows up, and this is he, last night he's saying, guys, look, you know this idea about the vine, how God gave you his law, how God revealed himself to you. Guess what, guys? I am the true vine. I am everything that God wanted you to be. I am everything that is revealing who God is and God's ways and God's will. I am the true vine. I am your source. See, to remain in love and to remain in God and where God wants us to be, we have to have that conviction as God's people that Jesus is my source. Source of what? Source of everything. He's my source of truth. He's my source of hope, my source of forgiveness, my source of salvation. He's my, my source of healing, my source of peace, my source of joy. He is my source. He is the vine and everything comes from him that is coming into my life. And it comes into my life for this purpose, that I reveal Jesus out of my life. But I have to have this conviction that I can do nothing without Christ. So I have to be so plugged into him because he is the true vine and he gives me everything I need that I need to be doing. Then Jesus paints this other picture at the end of verse one. He says, my father, he's the gardener. Now again, for his disciples in that upper room at that moment, they would have understood this because all across the land of Palestine, there were grapevines growing, mostly to produce wine, not like the wine we have today. It wasn't as fermented or alcoholic, but they would produce wine. And so all across Palestine, there would be these grapevines and these, these grape uh, orchards, and, and they understood that a gardener would go out. And if, if a plant was not producing the way it would, the, the gardener would, would cut it all up. That's what Jesus is painting there in verse 2. He says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. They cut it up and they take it out. Why? Because they don't want it to spoil the whole batch. But then he goes on to say that even those branches that are producing fruit, what does the Father do? The Father cuts them back. He prunes them. Every branch that produces fruit so that it will what? Produce more fruit. So we need to understand that just because we're remaining in love, just because we're remaining in God doesn't mean things are going to be easy and things are going to go the way we want. To remain in love, it can be painful. Because what the Father does, because you are His children, He comes in and does what the Bible calls His discipline and accountability. And so He sees something in us that can produce this fruit and when he sees that fruit begin to be produced, he comes along and he begins to prune. Why? So you produce more fruit. And so when I'm remaining in love, I have to understand that God's going to come in and discipline me at time. Why? So I can produce more fruit, more Christ-like behavior, more, more Christ out of my life, more God things to draw people to God. The writer of Hebrews says that if you were without discipline, which all receive, meaning all receive dis discipline, then you would be illegitimate children. And you would not be sons. He goes on to write in verse 11 of chapter 12. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This pruning that Jesus is talking about, he's talking to his disciples, says, you know, what? you are clean. Okay, you are clean because you have heard my word. But now the Father is going to come and he's going to start pruning. And it's going to be painful at times, but it's the purpose that you can produce more and more fruit. And you see how this plays out in the book of Acts, where thousands were coming to Jesus Christ on one occurrence. And so they kept producing fruit and they kept producing fruit. And what happened? Persecution came. 
And they had to endure in the faith. They had to make a statement, I'm going to live for Jesus and I'm going to die for Jesus. You know, if you became a Christian in the first century, you were making a life and death decision. It wasn't just about going to church on Sunday morning. It was that this could cost me my life. And the early disciples and the early Christians, they were making that decision and God kept pruning them because sometimes to remain in love, God has to get some of the junk out of us. He's trying to mold you and form you and shape you into his likeness. And sometimes there's things in your and my life, and we know this, we, it, we're not dumb to it. There's things in our life we know should not be there and should not be coming out of it. And so God comes in and he starts pruning. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you too much to leave you in that place. And he sees such potential in you and me to do incredible things. But we remain in love for the purpose of bearing fruit. Look there in verse 4. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. And this, I mean, we should understand this. You know, when you go and you pick a beautiful flower and you cut it from its stem, what ultimately did you do to that poor flower? Right? You killed it. I mean, it may be beautiful for a couple days, but basically it's dead because it's not connected to the source of its life. And so Jesus said, you know, if you don't remain in me, then you can't produce fruit. If you don't remain in the vine, then you're not remaining in me. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine. I'm who you need to be attached to. I'm who you need to be constantly connected to. And you are the branches. You are the things that are coming out from me. And the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing. You can do nothing without me. And so Jesus taking this image. We have to keep in mind he's preparing his disciples for that moment he's physically no longer going to be there, pouring into their lives. So the question is, how do we remain in you? And Thomas actually speaks up in the middle of this discussion when Jesus says, I'm getting ready to go away, but don't worry. You know where I'm going. Thomas kind of freaks out, like, wait, where are you going? And how are we supposed to know where you're going if we don't know where you're going? And, and how are we supposed to get there? And so Jesus gives us instructions because he's no longer physically with us for us to remain in him. We have to remain attached to him. How do I remain attached to Jesus? How do I remain attached to God? I have to be in God's word. I have to be in God's word. It can't be me relying upon a preacher or a pastor or a teacher or someone else pouring in my life. Those are good things. Those are biblical things. But I personally have to connect to God through his word. God reveals himself through his word. And so I have to be in this. I have to be in the body of Christ, which is the church. I have to be connected. You, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? No, there's nothing in the Bible that says that if you're a Christian, you have to go to church. But it does say we should continue to meet together and not break the habit of being together. Some have done and they've grown weak in the faith. And so I have to be in the body of Christ. I have to be in the, the word of God. I have to allow the word of God to penetrate me and transform me so I can be obedient to remain in love and to remain in Christ. I have to not only hear the word of God, I have to do the word of God. I have to be obedient to it. And I know there's things in here we read, it's like, oh man, that's so tough. Do I really need to do that? No, you don't need to do it for your salvation, but you should do it in response to your salvation. Because God loves me so much to save a sinner like me. Man, I, I just, I want to live my life for him. And Jesus says, the only way you can do this, 
And the only way you can bear fruit is that you remain connected to me. You remain in me. You, the word there is abide, or you cling to me as if your life depended on it. And actually that word, interestingly enough, comes from the Greek word when a city would be bombarded by an enemy threat. And they would ransack the city and they would gather around and usually cities in those days had walls and so everyone in the city would go into the walls and they would close all the doors and they would just stay in there hoping the army would go away. And a lot of times the army's just waiting them out till they died or came out and surrendered. And this idea of remaining is, is that image of people running into the shelter of the city remaining in there because their life depended on it. So Jesus takes this idea that you need to dwell, you need to encamp in me, you need to come into me as if your life depended on it because it does. And we have to have a conviction about that as believers that I am nothing without Christ and I can do nothing without Christ. So how do we dwell? We remain in his word. We get into the church, but ultimately it has to begin. But I have to make a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. I have to have the Holy Spirit inside of me. The Bible says that once I make that confession, that the Spirit comes inside of me and I become the temple of the Holy Spirit and he's dwelling in me. He's living in me to guide me and lead me so I can produce the fruit which Jesus is talking about. And Paul talks about being spiritual fruit. And notice what Jesus goes on to say about this. He says, if you don't do this, you can't do anything without me. And I think sometimes at churches and sometimes in my own life, we can argue about that. Jesus said, if you don't remain in me, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think sometimes we're like, well, we can do some things. We do some things good. I mean, we can cook a meal. We can take food to people. We can give money. We can, we can do some things, right? I mean, we know how to put church on. We know how to uh, play instruments, and, and we know how to preach sermons or teach lessons. We know how to do it. We can do some things. But Jesus says, without me in it, without you connected to me, all that stuff you do has no power. It has no power. So I can preach until my face turns blue, but if Jesus is not my source, if I'm not connected to him, there's no power. Our worship team can come up here and they can play till their fingers bleed. But if Jesus is not, if they're not connected to Jesus, then there's no power. It takes us to no place of holiness and no place of grace. If we put on Wednesday Night Live or Vacation Bible Schools or Trunk or Treats or Do Fofty or we give to the poor and we send out food to people in the community and we, we take care of them, but we are not connected to Jesus, there is no power in it. There's no eternal significance. We're just making noise. And that's what Paul is pointing to. If you've ever been to a wedding, you probably have heard this passage of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when Paul says that if I speak in human, human or angelic tongues, but I do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Why? Because God is love. Jesus was the full demonstration of God's love for us. And we are called to remain in him. And so if we are not plugged into Jesus, plugged into the power of the spirit, plugged into his word, then there's no love and no power coming out of us. It calls us independently to make a decision about our relationship with God. 
Then Paul paints this picture, and I believe it's a beautiful picture of Jesus, but it has implications for us. Verse 4, chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. And it does not keep a record of wrong. Verse 6. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I believe that was Jesus. That's Jesus. Walking Jesus right there. You look at that and you just say, that's Jesus. Jesus was patient. He was kind. He doesn't envy. He is not boastful. But here's the thing that the implication for us. Since Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, that means we're connected to Jesus. Guess what we are to be? Jesus. That's the name Christian, is that they look like a little Christ. And so we're connected to Jesus so that Christ's image comes out of us. And so Jesus looked like that, but now we read this and just put your name in there for the word name love. For example, verse 4, Mike is patient. Is that true? Don't answer. Um, Mike is kind. Mike does not envy. Mike is not boastful. Mike is not arrogant. Mike is not rude. Mike is not self-seeking. Mike is not irritable. Don't answer. Mike does not keep a record wrong. Mike finds no joy in unrighteousness, but Mike rejoices in the truth. Mike bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, because Mike never ends because he's connected to the vine. Now, is that true about you? I can honestly say confession is not true about me all the time. But that's the goal. That's the fruit. The fruit of love we're called to bear out. And it is impossible, impossible, unless we are firmly connected, dwelling, and camping in Christ. But see, this is God's plan. When God created mankind, whose image did he create them in? His own, right? God created man and woman in his own image, right? He goes and said, let us make man in our image. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. You can go read it later if you want to check it. Problem happens in Genesis 3. Is that those who are creating the image of God to be image God-bearers, God-bearing images, imagers, you figure that out. Chapter 3, that image becomes corrupted by sin. One act of disobedience. One questioning of God's authority, one questioning of God's word, and what happened? God's image bearers were separated. They were cut. And since that time, mankind from whatever B.C. that was to now has constantly been trying to get back to that place, and they do it through all these different things. But Jesus is saying the only way for you to get reconnected to where you're supposed to be is you have to be connected to me. And in being connected to me, here's the purpose. God made you to be image bearers of his glory. And now that you're connected to me, you're to be image bearers of Christ. But you cannot be my image bearers unless you are connected to me and I am the word. So you can't do this on your own. I can't do this on our own. I cannot be the person that God needs me to be unless I am firmly connected to Christ. Your mom and dad can't make the decision for you. Your aunt and uncle, your grandparents can't. You have to make a decision. You know what? I'm going to get serious about this relationship. Not to boast in myself, but that I can fall in love with God and God's love can come out of me and I can be an image bearer of Christ. I can bear the fruit according. To remain in Christ empowers us to do things far greater than we ever could have done on our own. But to not is the biggest waste of our time. Here in a couple months, uh, well, maybe, I don't know when you get on it, but here in a little bit, 
we're going to start seeing lights hung around houses and on trees, and people are singing merry songs. You know what I'm talking about? Christmas is coming. Yeah, it's coming. Get over it. It's coming. Okay? And, and, okay, so take that idea of a Christmas light. If I were to put Christmas lights all around our house like Chevy Chase did in National Lampoon, right, and I put them all up, but I didn't plug them in, how pointless would that be? Be ridiculous. <laughs> you, would, you would laugh and say, why didn't you plug them in? I don't know. I just thought that looked good. Lights all over my house. But they wouldn't be serving their purpose, right? They would not be empowered. And so the Christian who is not plugged into the Word of God, not plugged into Christ, is just as pointless as unplugged Christmas lights. You're not serving the purpose. You cannot be the light of the world unless you are connected to the light of the world. And so Jesus empowers it. But notice what else he says here in verse Verse 7, chapter 15, he says, it also empowers our prayers. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. And this is the verse can be taken out of context so easily, like we saw last week. Jesus is not saying that if you are in my word and my word is in you, that you can come to me and you can pray to win the lottery, you can pray for a bigger home, a nicer car, you can pray for your kids to have some sanity. That is not what it means. What it means that if I remain in Christ and Christ's words are in me, then all that is coming out of my prayers is God's word. It's God's will. I am so aligned to God's will that I am praying with power because God does not go against his word. He does not go against his will. And so I am praying that. James says that you pray, but you pray with the wrong motives or the wrong intentions. You pray for yourself. But prayers that are guided by the word of God are prayers that are connected with God and they see God living out through those prayers. So Jesus says, if my words are in you, you can ask anything. Because my word is in you, and I can trust you to be praying my word and my will. And finally, verse 8 says, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce, again, what is it? Much fruit and prove to be my disciples. That's a huge statement. Because what Jesus is saying is that us bearing fruit and us remaining in him is the evidence of us actually being a Christian. To prove to be my disciples. To that word means to perform. It means that we are so connected to Christ that we are performing like Christ in this world that he's left us. Because Christ, like I said, he's handing the mission over to these men and he's handing it over to us. And I want to go back to one more verse if you thought I was going to jump over it. Verse 6. It says, If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. And they gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. This verse is not talking about hell. Okay, that is a horrible misinterpretation. God promises his children he will never leave you or forsake you. Never leave you or forsake you. Now, that, that does not mean you or I can, can not walk away from faith. We can walk away from the faith, walk away from our salvation at any point in time. And God will freely allow us to do that. That's the free will we have. We have a free will to choose him. We have a free will to walk away from him. And because God loves us, he gives us that choice. What it's saying here is that those individuals who are connected to Christ, that's the context, but they're not remaining to that deep connection with Christ. What God does is he comes along and he takes those branches that are there. They have Christ in them, but he takes those branches and he takes them off for the betterment of the mission. 
and he throws them aside. It, the images of a plant not producing, so you take them off so it can produce and become stronger. And so God, the gardener, comes along and he takes these branches off and he throws them aside. I know it says fire. We always equate that with hell, but we'll, I'll show you here in a second how, what it means. It's so that God's mission can be carried on. Here's the thing. God does not have to use you or me, but he wants to. And if you and I do not allow God to use us in the way he wants to, God will find someone else to do it because God's mission will go on. And his mission is that all would come to salvation and a saving knowledge of him. And so we can either get on board and we can live our life the way God wants us to live our life or we can live our life as a waste. And we'll know it when we come before the Father at the end of our days and see how many opportunities we wasted for God to receive glory through our life. Now, if you want, turn with me to, to 1 Corinthians, real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because Paul elaborates on this idea of these branches being that aren't continuing dwelling in Christ and getting on the mission of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says, If anyone builds on the foundation... Uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, meaning the things of this earth, those things that are going to, uh, they're going to be gone away with, then each one's work will become obvious, meaning you'll know that they're living worldly instead of godly. Then he goes, for the day will disclose it. And he's speaking about judgment day because it will be revealed by fire. There's that fire again. Now fire in scripture comes to purify. And I understand that hell is always associated with fire, but that's a different type of fire. This fire is the fire of purification. The fire will test the quality of each one's work, or from John 15, each one's fruit that they bear because they're connected to the vine. And if anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. And what that saying is going back to John 15 is there are people who have accepted Jesus Christ. He is their Lord and Savior. They've confessed him. They've, they've prayed the prayer. They've been baptized and they're saved. And whether or not you believe it, that's not on you. That's God. God will figure that all out in the end. It's not on you and me to figure out, oh, I don't know if they're really saved. That's not our, that's not our job. But there are going to be people that have accepted Jesus Christ. They believe in him. They believe God to be the one true God. They fall in the waters of baptism, but they are not producing any fruit in their life. And when they come before God on judgment day, when they have all that stuff before them, it will be consumed by the fire, the purity, the holiness of God. And they will come to understand how much they wasted their life here on this earth because they will smell as if they've been standing in the fire the whole time. We do not want to be that person. We want to be the individual that is so connected to Christ that all we're doing is bearing fruits of Christ. So Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, and he tells us there in verse 25 that we are to keep step with the Spirit. So we ultimately have two choices in remaining love. We either keep step with the Spirit or we quench it. And when you quench it, and this life is over, you're going to look back and you're going to be so broken because you're going to realize all those opportunities that you missed in this life to bring God glory, and that's the ultimate goal. Go with me back to John 15. We'll finish with this. Verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, meaning that you're remaining in, my, in me and remaining in the Word of God, and that you produce fruit and prove to be my disciples. 
The reason we are to remain in love is not only to bear fruit of Christ out of our life, but that God receives the glory out of our life. That everything we say, do, brings Him glory. That's why we want to bring God glory. Why? Because we want other people to know how much God loves them. That's why. It's not about us. It's about bringing Him glory so other people can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's it. And I can't do that if I'm not plugged into Him. I won't want to do that if I'm not plugged into Him. So, one last question. What if you're not plugged into Jesus already? What if you're not remaining, or what if you're not connected to the true vine already? The reality is you're lost. You're lost. And what that means is when this life is over, there are two places to go. There's no, like, middle waiting room. <laughs> There's heaven or hell. And to be lost means I'm going to be eternally separated from God in hell, a place where that fire doesn't purify, but that fire continues to consume but does not burn up. It is, a, it is a picture of complete, never-ending pain. And so if I'm not connected to Jesus Christ, and it's what we saw with, with James and Haley and Liz this morning, their connection with Christ through the waters of baptism, their confession of faith, that connects me to Christ. And if I'm not connected, I'm lost, I'm going to hell. But God has brought you here to this moment to get connected to the true vine. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. There are times in our life, even today is going to happen, I'm not going to bring glory to the Father. Because I'm a sinner. I've wrestled with sin. The sinful nature is still inside of me. Does it bother me? Yeah, but it's there. And so since we all are in that same lot, the Bible says that the wages or the cost of that sin is death. That death there is that separation, that hell. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So God might be extending an invitation to you at this very moment to get connected to the vine. The Bible says that God loves you more than you'll ever imagine. He doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about what you think keeps you from coming to this relationship with him. He just extends a relationship and says, come. Doesn't ask you to clean it up. He doesn't ask for you to, to get it all figured out in your head before you come. He just says, come, and then allow him, the gardener, to do the pruning. If you're here today and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, but you believe that he did die for your sins, he did rise from the grave, he did ascend to the right hand of the Father, and you believe that, and you want Jesus in your life so you can be forgiven and become a child of God, a child of the King, and part of that is not just believing, but confessing. I'm going to stand down here for an invitation. And if that's you this morning, I'm going to invite you to come down and just say, Pastor Mike, I want Jesus. And we'll pray together and we'll celebrate together. But maybe you're here this morning as a believer and you've come to the realization you're not connected to Christ the way you should be. And that needs to change. And maybe you just need to come and kneel before the Father and apologize. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what God has done in every single heart in this place, but I do know this. God's word does not come back void. It is living and active. And I know he has spoken to each and every one of us in a very personal and intimate way. And now it's time for us to decide, are we going to be doers 
are only hearers. So if God has called you and it's time for you to respond, I'm going to invite you to come down. I'm going to ask Jackson to come up and you're ready to lead us in worship, and I want to pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, Lord, knowing that we need it every day. Lord, give us a heart's desire just to continue to be in your word, continue to be with your people, continue to, to have your word into our lives and into our hearts and minds that it just transforms us. It renews our mind. Lord, I know it's your desire that your people would be in an intimate relationship with you, that they would seek to know you because you've made yourself known. And Lord, give us that desire that we're not satisfied with where we are. We don't want to live a life that is wasted, but a life that is for you and for your glory. We come this time of response. Lord, I know your word and your spirit has come. It's spoken to hearts in many different ways. And you're guiding and leading us in different ways because we're, we're the body we're, and we all have different parts of this body. So let us come to this place and respond appropriately to the love and, and the word you've given us. Maybe even the pruning that you're trying to do in our life. Let us be submissive to that. And Father, I pray for the individual or individuals here this morning that don't know you as your Lord and Savior or have yet to confess that. Maybe they haven't followed you in the waters of baptism. They need to come to this time and they're just so nervous and they, they don't understand what's going on, Lord. Allow your spirit just to draw them that they just can't sit still, but they just come and let it be known that they, they want you in their life. They want to be connected to the vine. They want to be saved. Father, there's any time this, that during this time of your word that I have gotten in your way, forgive me. But I thank you that you are faithful and you are true and you are forever loving. And give you praise for you alone are worthy of it. Praise on your son's name.